Christmas. Are you doing anything special on your day off? Oh, no, nothing much. Oh, I just thought because you're so nicely dressed. Oh, yeah, I'm, um, I'm eating my sister for dinner. Oh, it's Arlene, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, have a good one. Thanks. <clears throat> Chinny reckon. You what? Chinny reckon. What we used to say as kids, usually when we're rubbing our chins. That's something to do with that football bloke, Jimmy Hill. I have no idea what you're talking about. The talk of the street. 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 Welcome to episode 246 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Cornish and Street Catcher podcast that wonders if Canadian water is all it's cracked up to be because if Jackson is 21 and maybe Stephen's in his mid-30s, I'm Gavin. And I got to hold a buffalo penis this week. <laughs> Again? <laughs> this time it wasn't attached to the what buffalo. What kind of fucking auction is this? <laughs> As you shiggle everything on this table. Do we need more information about the Buffalo Penis people? <laughs> I think they Not do. the Buffalo Penis people. The Buffalo Penis, comma, people. people. Well, this week, um, I got to go on my first first picking trip. So, you know, if you've ever seen the, the TV show American Pickers, it was kind of like that, only we already have authority to just take whatever we want from the house and sell at auction. So and there was no camera crew. Right. So we're not offering money. And I don't have a beard. Or, and I'm also not a tall, a very tall man who likes motorcycles. I've never really seen American Pickers, so. Which is shocking because, 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 because Stu- Stuart, Stubes. Stuart. Stubes. Stuart. <laughs> Who's Stuart? I don't know. Stop shiggling the table. <laughs> or shiggle it more. Take your foot. Because Stubes loved American Pickers. Did he? Yeah. It was like his favorite show. We used to talk about it all the time. Anyway, so I was at this house and um, and the guy was like really into Western stuff. Like he'd gone out to Montana a lot and everything. So, of course, that made me very verklempt because my family is from Montana. Mm. So, like seeing a lot of stuff from there and... You know, being reminded of my uncles and stuff. And uh, there was this milk can full of canes. And and we were talking to, to the son about the canes. And he's like, oh, you really got to see this one. And he handed it to me. And, you know, and it was kind of like this twisty cane. And on the side, there's like a little metal plate that says, made from the reproductive organs of a buffalo. So this was a cane for walking made mm. out of a buffalo penis. Oh, or testicles. I, I don't think testicles can stretch that far, even on a buffalo. You'd be surprised. <laughs> Especially if you, if you grind them down. Right. And if it's a very, very old buffalo, I suppose, they hang fairly low. Mm. Mm. But this was really hard and, you know, you could use it as a cane. I... <laughs> You didn't buy it, though. Well, I'm going to auction it. It's going and, to be in the what? man cave auction. Again. 
What? I, d- I don't know that you know what people have in man caves. Well, it's called man cave, but it's like manly stuff. And what's more manly than a penis? I don't think men typically want other penises in their, their lounge areas. Well, this old cowboy did. I don't think I know anybody that would buy that. Yeah, it was it was funny because um, while I was there, I uh, I texted um, your pal Steve. He told me about it. <laughs> okay. They didn't know what it was. They were having a lunch at the time. I know at the people's kitchen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were like, "What is that?" Oh, that's what that is. <laughs> Helen's weird. We had a very good laugh about it because we were talking about birthday presents for you beforehand a few weeks ago so well even though your birthday is not until august yeah but it's a big one Uh, gav's turning the big 5-0 in august ladies and gentlemen the big 5-0 you don't look a day over the big four or five (laughs) no that's weird because i moved here when i was in my 30s yeah and later this year I'm going to be in my 50s and that makes me feel like I've been here for a very long time. Over a decade. And I guess I have. It's like a fifth of my life. It's fairly long. If I think about that, like a fifth of my life I've I've spent here. And and may you spend many more (laughs) than a fifth of your life. May your life continue for another half after 50 (laughs) I'm not sure what that adds up to. It's best not to do the sums. Cause what, 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 is, what is 50 the half of? A hundred. Yay. I don't want to live till I'm a hundred. Why not? Oh, I'd be miserable. Would you? Mm-hmm. Or would you? Sorry, I'd be more miserable. <laughs> or would you not really know what's going on at that point? Yeah, so, so where's, maybe you'd where's be the happy. fun in that? Maybe you'd be happy. Maybe you'd, maybe you'd be content. I don't know. Sitting I think around... I think any insights I can give in Coronation Street when I'm 100 years old will be thin on the ground. It's very optimistic of you to think that Coronation Street will still be on the air. Or that I give insights currently. Or that, you know, television will even exist 100 years from now. Or 50 years from now. What a world it'll be. Yeah. How was your week? Oh, that was, again, too much thinking. Too much staring at data. And trying to figure out why something isn't working. Aww. And then three hours later realising that you don't have a greater than an equal sign when you want just an equal sign. Mm. Three hours to find one keystroke out in a formula is not is not great use of my time when that's You need more buffalo penis in your life. I don't think that would help. I think that would <laughs> if anything be a distraction. Anyway. Anyway. Shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Give us some of that reproductive Corey news. Ryan may never get his brother from another mother back. James Burroughs, our Alley, has said in a recent interview he got bored playing the same character and that the soap wasn't for him. Considering he'll be starring in the Apple TV series Hijack with Idris Elba and starred in the Netflix movie Three Day Millionaire, it seems that he made the right choice. It's like he doesn't know what what a soap opera is, though. Right. You tend to play the same character. Yes. Typically. 
typically. I, I think I think it's it's the fact that you're playing that same character for like three episodes a week. That seems right. like a lot. Whereas, yeah. you know, like in an Apple TV series, you're playing it one day a week, although you're probably filming all of the series beforehand yes. and stuff. Right. And it's not nearly as exhausting as a soap opera. Good for him, though. Yeah. Idris Elba. Has he got a big role in these things? Yeah, he's like the star of the Three Day Millionaire. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. Wow. I mean, yeah. good for him. <laughs> I don't know why I think he's so shocked there. I don't know either. He was really good as the brother you see for only five minutes in one of my favorite movies, Finding With My Family. And he was great in The Joker. Oh, no, that was fucking Phoenix. Anyway. Anyway. Former Coronation Street actor Craig Gazy has joined the fourth season of The Bay. Apparently, he's unrecognizable, but I don't know what he looks like, so who knows? <laughs> what was his name? He's uh, Craig Gazy. He played Graham, uh, David's cellmate in 2008. Apparently, he's older than he was in 2008 and thinner. Who knew? Who knew the people age? Older. Well, older. I would have put money on them being younger, but there you go. <laughs> So he was the cellmate. Of David Platt, yes. I, I vaguely remember him. And apparently, you know, after he got out, he was on and dated Tina for a while. Yeah, he did. He did. He did. Oh, he, yeah, I remember. I remember him. He was quite a, a cheeky chappy. Quite a cheeky chappy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And finally, Andrew Barlow, known as the Coronation Street Rapist, has been released on parole. He got his nickname because the 13 women he raped lived in terraced homes in Manchester. People are not happy about this. Would you believe? And that's Corey News. It was very (laughs) hard to find Corey News this week. I apologize. That was the buffalo penis of Corey Newsies, I think. That is being... Very impartial to Buffalo Penis. Uh, I call it like I see it, Helen. I'm sorry. How would you feel if a buffalo said that about your penis? Well, that's wrong and that's just plain wrong. <laughs> let's let's talk about feedback and stuff. This is our Everyone's a Critic section. Remember I did this last week and it was such a success. Well, I, Was I, it? Well, I kind of enjoyed it. Sure. We got a review on, it wasn't Apple Podcast, but it was another podcast provider. Mm-hmm. From, of choice. From Toom, who wrote to say, this podcast is more entertaining than watching Corey. Yay! Clearly not this week, but... No, I would say this week as Gen- well. Generally speaking. And then Ian Les Paul wrote back in to say that he found it interesting that Helen couldn't see what a Weatherfield resident would find of interest in Stephen. Bit of an elephant in the room? Gav nailed it. It's the accent. Ian says, I married a Canadian living in Britain. All of my friends loved her American accent. She speaks just like Suzanne Vega. <laughs> we decided to come to come back to her country. You sit in a steel box for seven hours, get out of the plane, and suddenly, I am the interesting one. She is now ordinary. So if you two moved to Dundee, Helen would get lots of attention. I guarantee. Now, see, here's the thing. When we have gone to Scotland, people have not liked my accent. (laughs) People have given me shit for my accent. (laughs) 
I was accused of stealing the Scottish men. I don't know how much that had to do with your accent. <laughs> People do like the the exotic, the, right. un, the unusual. Apparently, Americans are not exotic in Scotland. Then, yeah. either that or maybe I just have shitty friends. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's possible. It's possible. I don't have really good friends. No, no, I like your friends. Some of your friends' spouses. Maybe not. <laughs> I don't know. Thank you for those little bits of feedback and commentary. Yes. I've really enjoyed this section. So if you have anything that you want to tell us about the show or about Corey or about anything in general, you can hit us up. We are the talk of the street at gmail.com and we're at Corey Podcast on Twitter and Facebook and stuff like that. And now we'll podcast for coffee. drinking our own coffees again this week if you what are you drinking unsweetened iced tea unsweetened iced tea i have a canada dry oi canada dry zero sugar i'm sweet enough you are the talk of the street is and always will be free on your podcast provider and on the youtubes but if you think our little show here our little humble show is worth anything more Buffalo than the time it takes to listen to it. And if you want to show your appreciation, maybe I can buy something that would dampen this table a little bit. You can buy us next week's coffee by going to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. And we'll be very grateful and appreciative, won't we, Helen? Eh. <laughs> won't we, Helen? I guess. There we go. And what now, is it with this table this week? Is it's that you! Usually, yeah, but it's not usually the sugarly just when I laugh. I think your breasts are hanging over it or something. <laughs> and now, this. Oh, welcome, welcome, welcome. Oh, welcome to last year tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about Banana Rama Tribute Act. Didn't this have something to do with Beth as well? Because, you know, just like the Human League this week, the Banana Rama Tribute Act, that was three people from Coronation Street. Beth was the blonde. Which one was the redhead? I don't know. Tell me, Gav. That's right. This was Tracy calling Amy and her little friends. Oh. Asha and Nina, a Banana Rama Tribute Act. Or somewhere, I can't remember which. I was Gavin and you were St. Patrick and Zelensky. I was St. Patrick and Zelensky. Yeah. No good sentences start with the word Bono, as we talked about <laughs> his submission of a limerick collection <laughs> to Nancy Pelosi. Do you know what? I have deleted that damn U2 record off of my phone. Stories it was never innocence. even on this phone. It didn't come out when I had this phone, no. and yet it is still on this phone, even though I keep deleting it. It keeps coming back. Yep. Why? It's like shingles. It really is. And just about as good. <laughs> you missed the chance to buy a Skellington from an estate sale, and we were rochambeauing to decide if we are going to see X or Uma that weekend. And it was Uma. Yeah. Most to pity. Oi. Imran discovers the truth about Abby's baby while Toya continues to do her best to show up at every inopportune moment. Daisy finds it difficult to avoid being a jealous girlfriend while Nikki's attempts to become a teaching assistant do not go smoothly. 
Gary is concerned about Laura and her attempts to get in touch with her private investigator, so makes her soup and calls on Dr Gadas. Grace turns up for Glory's birthday party, but her true intentions are predictably more fiscally driven as she determines as she demands more money to keep silent about her last disappearing act. Amy finds it difficult to keep her new relationship a secret from her parents. Maria doesn't plant a tree. Kirk used to be a bee. Bernie goes for a pee. Our moment of the week was after debating for about five minutes, we decided it was Amy and Jacob announcing themselves and their relationship to Steve and Tracy in the bistro, and the boring moment of the week was Paul telling Ed how cute Bertie could be crawling about on all fours, which I couldn't remember seeing. And that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street, this time uh, last year. I made things rhyme. You did. I should do that more often. No. No? No. no. Oh, talking of which. Oh, the guitar is over there. Sorry, people. <laughs> Our first storyline this week is... Justin Stalking's Rides Again. Again. Are you done? For now. Okay, I'll put my headphones back on then. It's Justin Stalking's Rides Again, y'all. Boo! <laughs> on Monday... Morning in the Rovers and Daisy doesn't want to talk about Daniel, the wedding or Daniel and she goes back to her room leaving Jenny flabbergasted. And number one, Daniel is worried that he's blown it with Daisy. Not like that. Adam points out that Barlow's were born to blow it but not like that and reckons things well, will sort themselves out. actually exactly like that. And agrees that Daniel is a total fanny. Daniel wants to fix it. Don't fix it, says Adam. Support her. Right. Yeah. Don't try to fix it. Just be supportive. Mm-hmm. So Daniel yeah, goes. Dick. <laughs> I think that yeah, Dick was implied. <laughs> yes. So Daniel goes to see Daisy, who has been given some great life advice from Ryan, and they both apologise, and the wedding is quickly back on, which is just as well because Adam is supposedly going to be the best man. Daisy doesn't blame Daniel one hundred percent anymore, but suggests they postpone their big date and and wait until after all of this is sorted. Mm-hmm. Later, Daisy is heading to Dev's for milk when she runs into Justin again, fresh from his mum's funeral. He wants her to go to the wake with him. Daisy is just exhausted by all this, so decides to turn the tables on him. She pulls out her phone and starts live streaming him to her dozens of followers. And Justin does not like the scrutiny one little bit. Yeah, she should have been doing this all from the, way the very through. beginning, all the time, just all the way. live stream all of this. Yeah. Yeah, because then that would be like actual proof that, you know, couldn't be he said, she said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although I guess in the live stream, she kind of came across as the aggressor and all this. Eh. But this is after the whole court debacle. Right. And, and there he is on the street again. Right. Trying to talk to her, which right. the judge said that she didn't Stay advise him to do. Right? Yeah. Jenny sees the live stream and rushes to make sure that Daisy's okay. Tyrone and Yasmin also see what's going on and Justin quickly makes his excuses and leaves as Daisy screams to be left alone. Yeah. It was nice to see other peop- other members of the community defending Daisy. Yeah, because normally when a storyline like this is going on, the only people that populate it are the people who are in that storyline right here we have yasmin and tyrone who have got nothing to do with it right but the except of course that yasmin's been terrorized by a man before as yeah, well but still has nothing to do with the storyline right and i don't think we hear 
characters scream that often. No. So it was quite visceral for Daisy to be screaming at, at Justin to be mm-hmm. left alone over the roar of his car as he as he drives away. Yeah. That was quite um quite an emotional scene. After Daisy's live stream has broken a hundred likes. A Scottish woman comes into the rovers looking for Daisy. She says she's Justin's sister, although how she got to see it and how she knew who Daisy was or where she works is kind of creepy as well. Through the back door, Justin's sister explains that Justin's done this sort of thing before. He's always been a bit of a weirdo and he stalked someone when he was at school and assaulted them, gave her a black eye. The sister warns Daisy that Justin is dangerous and tells her to be careful. Later, Yasmin comes into the pub to offer her ear if Daisy wants to speak to someone about this kind of thing. And then Daniel comes in and he's as suspicious of Justin's sister, but knows when to keep his mouth shut. Daisy, though, after the meeting, has a plan of attack now that they know the police are going to be useless. Reluctantly, Daniel agrees to go along with it and she says to him, look, I'm doing this plan whether you are involved in this or Mm -hmm. not, so take your prick. Right. And remembering Adam's words of wisdom, he decides to offer his support. Yay. So Daisy arranges to meet Justin at the community garden. <clears throat> He's kind of taken aback by this because right. of, of all the screaming. Right. She carefully asks him to listen to her as she explains once again how she isn't interested in them and the two of them are nothing but strangers to each other. Right. And this goes predictably badly and becomes worse when Justin thinks that Daisy is recording him or filming him or something. Daisy deliberately antagonises him, so he lays his hands on her, calls her a bitch, just as a carefully orchestrated PC Tinker is led to the scene by Daniel, and Tinker rushes to the scene mm-hmm. and lifts Justin and carts him off on an assault charge. Yay. Finally. Finally. Back at the Rovers, Adam doesn't think this was a great idea, but Daisy is just relieved that they've been able to deliver what the police seem to be waiting for, which is a physical attack. Did you almost call Daisy Jay-Z? Uh, no, but thank you for drawing attention to it. <laughs> then later at home, Daisy is exhausted from the day and Jay-Z, no, sorry, Justin, <laughs> uh, from having to put up with Daniel, but has had a change of heart and wants to get married as planned. Ah, <laughs> boo. This was always going to happen. Yeah. She was always going to, it was a kind of fake... A fake uh, cliffhanger right. from last week. We, yeah. we knew that this wasn't going they to last. They were going to get back together. But on Wednesday, number one, Daniel, who couldn't commit to getting a day off work in the summer for his wedding, but who has taken several days off work recently, has taken another afternoon off to go to a wedding fair place with Daisy. She's been in touch with her suppliers who seem to be getting back on board now that Justin has been lifted. Right, and the live stream apparently has helped. Because they see all the people supporting her Mm -hmm. through the live stream. Oh, okay. Well, then you're fine now again. Yeah. That circumstantial evidence that we took as gospel last week, we're now going to take this circumstantial evidence as the last evidence was wrong. Right. These are great suppliers. Yes. Daniel arranges to meet Daisy at the fair place because plot. And the rovers later... Yeah, which makes no sense. No. Because why would you go... Why would you leave her alone? Mm Mm-hmm. Um. In the rovers later, PC Tinker comes in to tell Daisy that Justin has been charged with assault but has been released on bail. Daisy is shocked. PC Tinker absolutely hates dealing with Daisy and reacts badly when she correctly points out that now Justin is free to kill her or whatever. I'll see myself out, says PC Tinker. Yes. 
Later, Daniel thinks it's a result that Justin's been charged and he'll be locked up sooner or later. So I'll see you at the fair thing later because plot still. Mm-hmm. On the street, Daisy is shocked rigid when she sees a white delivery van and a man who looks like but isn't Justin. Ryan appears on the scene and takes her for a wee sit down on Maxine's bench. Daisy is embarrassed about freaking out, but Ryan comforts her. He says that he saw the live stream too because that's how social media works on Coronation Street and reckons that Justin has bitten off more than he can chew with Daisy. What? She insists that Justin is dangerous and she asks how Ryan is getting on with Alia and he explains that he's in the friend zone now, which is Alia's decision because she's once bitten. Oh, who bit? asks Daisy. You, ya cow, says Ryan. Finally. Daisy yeah. thinks now that Alia and Ryan were good together. Once upon a time, says Ryan. Mm-hmm. They don't go into it enough, do they? And they never <laughs> will. You know, if I was grateful if, that they just addressed it a little bit. If Coronation Street wanted to do a hard-hitting storyline about consent mm-hmm. and the absence of consent where alcohol is involved... They had the opportunity. They had a perfect opportunity to do something <clears throat> that would have addressed the issue in a new and interesting way. Yeah, what, 18 months ago? Right, yeah. I would have much preferred that to the shite that they're putting Amy through. Right. None of that was really... <sighs> I mean, was... she... Did, well, what did she do back then? Daisy let Ryan believe that something had happened. So he thought that something had happened and right. was was quick to announce this to Alia. And she tried to make something happen, right? but he passed out, so she got him too drunk. Right. And unlike Amy, unlike the Amy situation, when Ryan passed out, there was really very little that Daisy could do. Yeah, but she destroyed... Ryan and Alia's relationship yeah, by deliberately getting Ryan drunk in the hope that they would sleep together. Right. And let Ryan believe that that was what had happened. Right. And then we changed Daisy's character. Right. And she became less that sort of nasty piece of work that I didn't like way back then. Right. Into something that's far more sympathetic, which is where she is now. Right. I, th- I don't think that we're alone in being being people who remember that this happened and this right. was something that was never really concluded or nobody or got any justice properly. really yeah. properly from it. The damage was done as far as Alia was concerned. Yeah, it was Wonder Woman 1984 all over again. I'm sure you're right. I've no idea why. But bringing it up now when the two of them were talking together felt right. I'm glad that Ryan said something. Right. But you let her off the hook far too easily. Yes. Such an opportunity wasted. Hmm. Yeah, like I said, I'm glad that they did something about it, but it really wasn't enough. Too little, too late. Back at the Rovers, Daniel has probably fucked something up about the wedding. Who cares? On Friday, because on Friday we're in light-hearted mode now, Daisy is making inroads into getting the remainder of her suppliers back on side. The only one not interested in doing business is the florist, who has told her to fuck off. Haha. <laughs> this means they'll have to uh, employ Plan B... And approach Tracy. Again. So Daisy goes to press and petals this time and finds Tracy in a somewhat hostile mood. What? Daisy admits Never. Daisy admits that they don't like each other, but she still like Tracy to do the wedding flowers, preferably discounted. 
Well, if you want that from me, I want to be a bridesmaid, says Tracy. What the actual shitting fuck, says Daisy. But Tracy insists she wants to keep Amy company. Back at the Rovers, no one can believe this development, least of all Daniel, who is so rocked by this, he decides to tell everyone about the plot of Great Expectations. Now, the funny thing is, is that in another storyline prior to this, another member of the family is speaking about the Barlow family group chat where Tracy has implied that she is jealous of Adam being the best man because she thought that she was Daniel's favorite sibling. Yeah. Or not sib. Well, Adam's not a sibling, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Tracy wanted to be best man. Yes. I think Tracy would have been a great best man. But apparently like everybody was like, Oh, why didn't you pick me? Apparently Ken was disappointed that Daniel didn't pick him in this family group chat that they have. How do you measure disappointment from Ken? Who has a family group chat? Is this like a normal thing? My family doesn't have a family group chat. Can you imagine how toxic that would be? (laughs) I don't have a family, so I don't have a family WhatsApp either. (laughs) So Glenda offers to get George to sweep up some flowers from the crematorium, but Daisy isn't that desperate yet. Later, Daisy hears back from the florist, the one that didn't want to do the flowers, and now they want to do the flowers again. But Daniel now thinks that they should let Tracy be part of the wedding, so Daisy has to cancel the florist who didn't want to do the flowers first anyway, but now who does want to do them to give the gig to Tracy who doesn't really want to do it. No. Or something. Tracy comes into the pub later and Daisy... Fucking Daniel guilting Daisy into this when she's already been through this traumatic experience. Why does he suddenly care? Yeah, He's fuck cared him. about nothing so far about the wedding. Fuck him. Tracy comes in later and Daisy agrees to the terms and conditions and Tracy can be a stupid bridesmaid after all, but Tracy knocks the offer back. She was on the wind-up, but she will do the flowers with a discount and they will be spectacular. Well played, says Daisy. Well played. Yes, she's like, I would have done the same. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Yes, so less traumatic, less triggering this week. Now, I don't think for a moment that we've seen the last of Justin. Well, no, of course not. He's out on bail. I'm only surprised that he didn't... The first thing that he did when they got out was go straight to the rovers. So, it suggests that either something has sunk in, which I very much doubt, or he has plans afoot for some revenge. Right. Do you think he went and killed his sister first? Who cares? Seriously, who cares? She's Scottish. You should care. I don't care about everyone that's Scottish. Why not? Do you care about everyone that's American? Yes. No, you don't. You're a liar. (laughs) It is like super creepy though, because she's in the grocery store and he's like parked in his car right around the corner waiting for her to come out of the grocery store. Waiting for her. How does he know she's in the grocery store? How was he stalking her and then like, oh well, I'll just park and wait here until she comes out. Mm. It seems like it. And the whole, oh, I want you to come to my mother's wake. And then mad at her because he got kicked out of the wake, which was kind of hilarious. So what what was that all about? Because he was on his, he'd just come from the funeral. Right. And he was going to the wake. And th- we call the wake and, something different here to what that is over there. Well, and we maybe have wakes here. Island, but you don't, you don't have a wake after the funeral. 
No, here the wake is before the funeral. Mm. It's the night before the funeral. Right. Where you're supposed to stay awake with the body. And what the wake is here is a wee cup of tea afterwards. Is, is the reception is what I think people refer to as a, as a wake in this setting. Yeah. I always I'm just also, call it the wee cup of tea. I'm also really confused because they were planning this funeral like two weeks ago. He was, was that like two weeks ago that Daisy punched him in the face? Yeah, I think it, I think it was around about two weeks ago, yeah. Why did it take so long to actually have the wet funeral? Oh, two weeks for my mum. Two weeks of body just sitting around waiting to be cremated? Yep. Well, well I don't think they put it on a roller coaster or anything like that. I think it was just, just hanging out, just waiting, waiting until it's needed. Like that book with the dying children like put that on the book roller coaster. the dying children. Put on the roller coaster to kill them because they were dying anyway. Oh, yes. How, how how high we go in the dark. Oh, yes. I how think. high we go in the dark. Yes. God, what a, what a disturbing... <laughs> depressing as fuck. De- yes. Depressing, macabre book about the end times. What is wrong with Justin who refuses to hear what is being, in some cases, literally shouted in his face? <sighs> There's got to be some kind of condition that... Well, does there... Does there because I was kind of getting that vibe from the sister about oh he's always been like this even as children he'd be fine and then he'd have these these violent outbursts mm-hmm. and everything and it's like uh, we're not coding him with some sort of mental illness and blame this on a mental illness are we or a learning disability we're not well, well it certainly looks and smells like a mental illness doesn't it it's not normal majority of people I know who are mentally ill are not. No, but this isn't, I don't think, based on the majority of people you know who are mentally ill. Right. I think this is based on on a certain subset of people who are mentally ill who... Or a certain stereotype about people with mental illness. Right. People like Justin exist. Right. But maybe they're just a product of rape culture and toxic masculinity as opposed to mentally ill. Well, maybe, maybe the rape culture, toxic masculinity, is a form of mental illness. That would leave a lot of mentally ill men in this world. Yeah, maybe. Well, maybe that's true. Mm. I mean, there's got to be something. Maybe that, we that, shouldn't that, blame everything on mental illness, though. But maybe we should, if it is. Hmm. I don't know. I there's there's something wrong with him, but I you know I don't. People blame so many things on mental illness as it is anyway and put a stigma on people with mental illness that I, I really don't want to go down that route. But years ago, they would just be written off as being a bit weird. Mm-hmm. Or be locked up in an institution. For, for being a bit weird. And lobotomized. Well, I don't think I'm thinking back as far as that. But, you know, in the 60s and stuff like that, 60s and 70s, I mean, there was plenty of people, it's like there were, there were probably people in my school who were autistic who weren't described as, as being autistic, who were described as being a bit weird. Yeah. I'm not saying that Justin is autistic. No, no, he's a, at all. nowhere near autistic. No, but in, in the attempts to understand things, people, I think, naturally want to con- concoct a name for it. For, right. For it and... Also, people need to be held responsible for their actions and not have things just, oh, well, he's just mentally ill. 
Yeah, but there's some that isn't it isn't normal for someone to for someone to be screamed at so often to leave me alone, to leave me alone, to mm-hmm. leave me alone, to then go up to that person and say, "Do you want to come to my mum's wake?" Yeah, that's that's not. There, there's something that's not connecting. No, Let, let's be as as generous as we can and, and say at, at least that. But I don't know if the story's interested in in that part of it. No. Or if it's just interested in the, the stalking aspect of it. Right. And where this could horrendously end up. The show has not been great when it comes to handling mental illness in a balanced, considered way. So I hope they don't go down that route. Right. So. All right, let's move on then to our next storyline, which is mildly ripeness. No, it doesn't work either. Mm. She's coming Monday. in like a wrecking ball. <sighs> We talk about fruits, so I think that's where that was coming from. On Monday, it's Faye's birthday, and Craig is treating her to an Eccles cake with a candle in it at Nina's Rolls, while Tim and Sally join in with the harmonies. He goes all out for her. It's an Eccles cake to take away, because they leave for the spa, which allows Sally to bitch at Tim for his awful idea of meeting Miley today. Uh Uh-oh. So later, Miley and Jackson arrive, and Miley is Canadian, and I forgot that she was Canadian, and so therefore would have a Canadian accent. Right, yeah, no, it's hilarious because she sounds exactly like Stephen. Exactly like Stephen. Exactly like Stephen. So maybe, maybe exactly she's like Stephen. Then maybe she's really from Ohio as well. She's British, don't we, Lassie? Is she? Mm-hmm. Wow. Because I thought surely we haven't flown someone over from Canada to play this, we Lassie, and no, we haven't. Well, but she's doing a damn good job with the accent, I think. I'm sure there are plenty of Canadian and American children in the United Kingdom whose parents work in government and stuff, or the military. They have to work in the government or military. That's my frame of reference for children whose parents move them to another country. I think then maybe they have British accents. Not if they were born in America and lived in America for most of their lives, and now they're living in the UK. That's a very specific subset of of kids. Yeah, military brats, like me. Anyway, this is a a moot point because she's no. British. Okay. Privately, Jackson isn't sure about doing this behind Faye's back, but Tim insists that she just needs time to get used to the idea. Tim insists that Faye loves Miley very much. Oh, what's he saying that for? And is pleased to hear that she's grown up into such a wonderful wee lassie. She also, like, just very naturally immediately calls Faye her mom, mm-hmm. which I was surprised at. Yeah, where's my mom? Right. It's a shame that my mom's on holiday or something. Right. That, that's the yeah. line that they've 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 spun her. Right. It's like you've never met this person and you're calling her your mom. Not not even mother. Yeah. You've never met this person. This person who gave you up and said she did not want to have anything to do with you when you were born, mm. and yet you've been taught to call her mom. I blame Jackson for this. <laughs> Miley's keen to know if she's the same as Faye was at her age. So Tim, after knowing Miley for a hot minute, explains how shite a dad he was for the first part of Faye's life and doesn't really know the answers to those questions. No. Later, they're just leaving when Miley meets up with Eliza on the street, who she'd met in town earlier that day. And while those two are bantering and swapping bracelets, Craig and Faye arrive home early from the spa because, guess what? Faye had a tension headache, otherwise known as... Craig. 
<laughs> right. The one place where she should be able to relax and get rid of attention headache has given her attention headache yeah. because that's Faye. <laughs> Faye heads to the shop for paracetamol and walks right by Miley and the two of them don't realize who the other is. And I thought that was, that was really sad. I thought that was that was really well done, though. Oh, it was very well done, yeah. but just really kind of, oh, they don't even, they don't even stop to it's, think. It's hilarious that, you know, that they just happen to have bumped into Eliza and Homeless Stew in this jewelry shop for children and been in line. Yeah. What, what are the odds? What Cla- are the odds? Claire's accessories, I think that's called. <laughs> Panicked, Tim drags them back to the house to show off the hot tub and then insists that they leave through the back on their way to the tram. Jackson privately asks that Tim speaks to Faye again. By the way, a lot of people have mentioned this, but right. Jackson is supposed to be 21. Is he? In dog years, maybe? I don't know. It's, it looks... I don't know how old the actor is, but he looks... Older than conservatively, 21. Conservatively, like mid-20s. Maybe late 20s. It's fine. And, yeah. How long is this character going to be here? Who knows? Who knows? Jackson privately asked that Tim speaks to Faye again. Later, Faye's headache has cleared up when Craig went back to work. That's funny. Homeless Stu comes to the door to return Miley's bracelet and Faye twigs what's been going on while she's been away not getting pampered. Tim's been seen Miley. Dum, dum, dum. Tim apologises but makes a case for meeting Miley who, as luck would have it, is a lovely wee girl and he wants to get to know his granddaughter. But Faye storms off, furious. On Wednesday at the Knicker Factory, while the Knicker people are celebrating another storyline, Sally tries to make a case for Tim to Faye, but she points out that if she decides not to see Miley, if she decides that she's not ready, Uh if she decides that this is something that she doesn't want, she expects Tim to respect that. Yeah, you don't really know Tim, do you? Uh Uh-uh. Meanwhile, Craig and Tim are chatting about the situation, and Tim really loved meeting Miley. Faye Pat. Faye passes and is unimpressed to see her dad and her Craig conspiring together. She says that Tim betrayed her. He says that she'll kick herself if she doesn't seize this opportunity. He's speaking of experience from getting her back in his life. More to pity, says Faye, and she storms off. She didn't mean that, says Craig, who wasn't under any obligation to say a single fucking thing about that, let alone negate what Faye has just said. Right. Oh, Craig. He goes on to do some more good work later in his roles when he says that Tim is allowed to see Miley if he wants and maybe she should give another chance to explain. Right. So Faye goes to see Tim and she explains that she's scared that Miley won't like her but she's doubly scared that she'll love Miley and be unable to walk away. He says she's making excuses and when Faye says that she doesn't want to see Miley what she really means is that she does want to meet her. And Faye agrees. Tim is right and they hug. Four scenes it took to turn all that around. Once again, we had this opportunity to have a really good and interesting storyline to explore what it means to be a mother. You know, the choices women make about whether or not they want to be mothers, how women are more than just mothers, etc., 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 and they fuck it up. <laughs> by turning it around and making it not, oh, I have decided that I just, I don't want to be a mother. I feel nothing for this child to, I'm just afraid she won't like me. Like Faye is 12. Mm. This is, this, this, this is not the most ridiculous 180 of the week. We haven't gotten there yet. 
We will get there. Oh, I'm intrigued. But it's still pretty ridiculous. And it's still pretty sad that, you know, the one storyline that had me really intrigued has turned into to this. Because one, one assumes that this is going to be a storyline that's about Miley and Faye becoming, becoming very close. Yes. And Faye having to deal with that right. rather than how she's felt supposedly all along here that right. she'd made her peace with us this. This, right. this, this is kind of dead to her now right and all, that's all we're doing okay here is, is digging this back up again right and so, maybe that would have meant and it's interesting because some subsequent scenes look like look like the, the, they're doing the opposite here but for this to work tim has to be right and Ugh. And what does that say if when Tim has to be right about something? Right. And Tim doesn't know. No. Tim doesn't know. Tim's talking about this from, from his experience. Right. Which is nothing like hers. No. Yeah. And even if they were the same, you know, people are allowed to be different. Right. But the fact that Faye and it would be a really much... does want to have, secretly really does right. want to have a relationship or a second chance here. Right feels like it's betraying everything that Faye has said and been right up to that point exactly you know and again it would be a much more interesting storyline if tim was allowed to have a relationship with his granddaughter and Faye is allowed to not have a relationship with her daughter mm-hmm. that would be better because it would be more interesting and it would be different and it would be telling women watching the show it's okay to not want kids. Mm. And it is okay to not want kids. I love my kids. I'm glad I have them. But I have lots of friends who don't have kids, and that's okay too. Why do we have to reinforce the stereotype that women must have kids and must love kids? Yeah, I, I think we kind of the. I was going to say that the closest we came to something that kind of bucked that trend was Abby, but even Abby kind of. Abby always <laughs> what, loved her what, children. What well. Well, no, she even, didn't. Even when she, she was, was drugged off her tits, she loved her kids. She just could not. She she was just an addict. But every but she got clean for her kids. She sacrificed being a mother for her kids. You know, that was the, Abby giving up her kids was completely different from Faye giving up her daughter as soon oh, yeah. as she was born. Yes, you know. I don't know. I I just. But it was I'm, like Abby had had a go at being a mother, had failed at it, and and recognised that the kids are going to be better with somebody who is better at this job than I am. Right. And of course now she has another child, and they've right. kind of just screwed all over that. But right, yes, whatever. and a stepson. Yeah. Who sometimes hates her. On Friday. Faye is overthinking meeting Miley and is worried that she's not dressed for the occasion when she should really be worried about being a morning-faced mayor. She's about to phone to cancel when the doorbell goes and Jackson and Miley arrive and Miley and Faye are somewhat shocked to be face to face but Miley's cheery and gives a hiya. Faye's like, hiya. It is really awkward but Miley does her best to keep the conversation flowing. Well done, Miley. Faye hands back the bracelet that Miley gave Eliza but Miley tells Faye to have it and Faye's like, well, I don't want a bracelet. And Miley's like, seriously? This is a present. Oh, sure. That's right. lovely. Thanks very much. Yes. 
holy shit, who's the mother and who's the child here? Hmm. Miley is still keeping the chat going while Tim names fruits. Jackson asks Faye to do something similar next week, and Faye's unsure because Jackson has a better relationship with Miley than she does. It's like, Jesus, really? Well, he, he's lived with her for right, years, and you know her for like the, an afternoon. Right. It's not a competition, says Jackson, but maybe have a think about topics for conversation next time, just saying. Faye, thanks to Tim telling her what she really wanted, is pleased to have this opportunity to get to know her daughter. And that is how we end that storyline this week. Boo. For reasons we've already discussed. Yeah, that's just... The two of them just sitting on the couch, not talking and staring mm-hmm. into space was... I don't know, was that... I guess it was meant to be sort of poignant and sad and, and stuff. And mm-hmm. It was just awkward. And just, well, just really, really, Especially really Especially since we've already seen the scene where Tim meets Miley for the first time and Tim is able to carry on a very honest and sincere conversation with her. Yeah, yes, he actually does a pretty good job for yeah. Tim. Yeah. Good for Tim. Good for Tim. All right, well, let's look, move on then before we say something else that's wrong to happy birthday Nana I'm in jail <laughs> on Monday <laughs> so it was not was song was called hello dad I'm in jail ah okay. I, was, I was riffing on that sure happy birthday Nana I'm in jail it's your birthday on Monday hope has gone on about Sam being a smart ass at school which makes Ruby start teasing her sister way to go Ruby Mm-hmm. Hope has Sam's name all over pencil case and announces she and Sam are going to the movies tonight. Ooh. Tyrone and Nick meet up in the pub later and Ty doesn't punch Nick, so that's progress. They joke about the situation with their kids and Tyrone explains about the pencil case thing. Oh, well. Yes. Sam has turned up for his date in a suit and a tie and it is adorable. It is very cute. They're sitting on the couch together and they look like a cover from a Everything But The Girl album. Thanks, Wokey McWokeface, for that joke. Yes. They get ready to head to the cinema, but not before Hope manages to swindle Tyrone out of some cash for popcorn. And it isn't clear that maybe Sam and Hope are just in this for the money, just for how much they can scam out of Tyrone. Because Hope, Hope says to Sam, see, I told you we should have gone. I told you this was worthwhile. So it seemed like maybe Hope was... I don't know. No, I, because, I don't know because she because seems genuinely scene... into it. Because that, yeah, and she's written his name all over her pencil case. And that scene in... I would be worried if I was Nina's, Sam, but. In Nina's roles, Tyrone was nowhere to be seen. This is true. <laughs> Sam says, you look nice. And she's like, what are you saying that for? Right. That's so funny. That was pretty funny. That's something I would say. On Friday, it's Evelyn's birthday. Yay! She has no real plans for her birthday, but she makes it sound like she's expecting some kind of fuss. Hope and Ruby think that they should throw a party, and Evelyn says, well, do you know, if you're going to throw a party, well, you, okay then, fine. No, but just a get-together. Yeah. I don't want a real party. Nothing fancy. And they've made her a lovely homemade card, which Evelyn appreciates far more than the jokey card that Tyrone got her that mocks old people. Yeah. She heads to Nina's roles where she informs Roy of the small gathering later and she tells him that it's no big deal, but if she doesn't have anything else on, maybe he might think about considering dropping by later. No pressure. Mm-hmm. Gotcha, says Roy. We're having an unbirthday cake. 
the living room, Fizzy's is all decked out with decorations and balloons and lager and candles. Evelyn comes home and is surprised by the effort they've all gone to. She gets a jigsaw with Cerberus on it from Hope and chocolates from Ruby. That was a very thoughtful gift from Hope. It was. She had to send away for that. Evelyn keeps checking on the door for the... For Roy. The emergence of Roy. And eventually there is a knock at the door, but it's not Roy. It's Dev. And he's 145% Dev to me. (laughs) Yes, he's so Dev. (laughs) He is only... He's only in the show this week. <laughs> two Very scenes. briefly, just two seeds, and yet, and yet he eats <laughs> completely. Both seeds. He is tripping he is balls as with a flourish. On target. <laughs> he gives her a wonderful present that she correctly predicts as chocolates past her sell by day. <laughs> Much later, Evelyn goes to see Roy, who is closing up the cafe. Where the fuck did you get to? She asks. You said it was optional, says Roy. You weren't missed, says Evelyn. Well, and also, he was dealing with something important in another storyline during this time. Right. And that's as far as we get with that. So maybe we are going to get the Evelyn-Roy thing. Although, isn't she leaving soon? Well, if Corey News is to be believed, she will be leaving to take her one-woman show, I think, on tour. Wasn't yeah, for she, like two years or something. I think for a year. Yeah. So. Or did she already do that and we missed it? No. She did. She had the, the first run of it. Right. And I think she's going back to it. Right. And it's going to be on tour now. But they're keeping the, the door open is what I think Corey News said a few weeks ago. If yes. Corey News can be believed. Yes. Was it fake Corey News? Who knows? <laughs> <clears throat> Only real ones know for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's true. Sam and Hope. If are, Corey uh, News were fake, it would be so much better. <laughs> well, maybe you should do that. I would. I wouldn't complain. I. I wouldn't notice. Hope and Sam are you a bit more on board with us now? I don't know. If we get Sam in a suit and tie. Looking as adorable as I do as like that. Sam in a suit and tie, but then I remember the last time that we saw Sam in a suit and tie for the funeral of his mother. Oh, way to bring it down. I do like this blooming friendship between Nick and Tyrone, though. More of that, please. <laughs> I think it's very fun that they are, like, friends now because their kids are dating. I don't know how believable this is, though, because remember, Nick opened his front door and Tyrone punched him in the face. Yes. And he had a black eye for about four weeks after it. Yes. So he has to be friends with... Maybe he's, maybe he's hoping that if he hangs out with Tyrone, Tyrone will save him from Damon. <laughs> yeah, well, Nick's not saving Nick from Damon, that's for sure. Hmm. I don't know. I, I thought the two of them together... It's, if, it, if it is... If it keeps it this way, where it is just... them doing wee kiddie things, like going to the cinema together and holding hands, I'm... I'm absolutely fine with that. And I'm talking about Hope and Sam here, not Nick and Tyrone. Although, if Nick <laughs> Although and Tyrone would, want to hold hands, I'm I not... I would be 100% behind that. I'm not writing any letters to Ofcom, let's just put it that way. Okay with it. Turning then to Evelyn and Roy, and we've kind of long thought that there was some kind of... Evelyn was wanting a little bit more than just a friendship from Roy. And I think right. I think we can say that that's definite now, right? That's yes. that's exactly what she's wanting. Yes. And she's trying to play it cool. And she's playing it right. too cool. And she's forgetting how literal 
Roy, Roy can is. be. Yes. Do you think Roy is interested? No. I think he might be. But I think he is very Roy and he's playing his cards very close to his chest and is not going to make the first move. Do you think he's, he's playing cards at all? I, I don't know that he is. I think he's he's reading exactly what Evelyn is saying and is picking up no signal from her. Right, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he is does not have a twinkling himself. It doesn't. I don't know if he sees it like that. I'd, I think the two of them... I think they'd be great together. Yeah. I, I think of course, they, I've been saying that for over a year. Yeah, now. and I think they currently are great together. Yes. Even just as they are. Right. Every scene with the two of them together is my favourite scene of the week. Tends to be... I don't know. I think this uh, this departure, though, as a, a bit of a a cloud hanging over the, the possibility of it, though. Uh, yes. You seem very tired. I am. <coughs> and that's as no bearing upon how I feel about the show. Or does it? Wait, shake off. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm hanging in there. What is Dev on, though? I don't know, but I want some. It's definitely not LSD. I'll tell you that much. Uh, He's high on life. High on life. I, I think it's Bernie and her, her healing crystals, maybe. Right. Or her healing vagina. Maybe. Maybe that. Maybe it does have healing Death properties. is getting laid, so he's happy. Yeah, he's like this occasionally when he's not getting laid, though. He just is... But he is getting laid. From time to time, just uber dev. Yes. And when we saw him tonight for the first time with his hat on mm-hmm. and a different storyline, it's like, oh my God, we are getting... We are the getting, full dev. We are getting every bit of dev that dev wants to bring this week, whether yes. we like it or not. And, me, and we like it. I like it. Me likey. Moving on then, the next storyline is Beth smacking. On Monday, Beth is in Nina's roles all dolled up on her day off. She tells Sarah she's meeting her sister, but Glenda is there for a quick chinny recon. She says, chinny chin, scratch my chin, itchy chin Jimmy Hill, and accuses Beth of meeting up with her beau. Beth comes clean. She's worried that Marco has got the wrong end of the stick, or thinks Beth is a minger now. She says she has no intention of cheating on Kirk, but she still wants to make a good impression. Right. Glenda provides some moral support to the bistro as Beth and Marco meet up. Beth is instantly giggling and Marco is very pleased to see Beth saying that she hasn't aged a day. Sure. Beth is no longer worried. They hug and giggle and hug and giggle and giggle and hug some more. Yes, and then they go get plastered. And they tell Glenda to beat it. They get wagged at Levino. Marco explains about his uh, amicable divorce and his old life in New Zealand. Beth just cannot stop giggling and it only gets worse when Marco whips out his 12-inch. But not like that. And it's actually Beth's 12-inch. It's dark by the time they leave. Beth's still giggling and they promise to keep in touch. Marco calls Kirk a lucky man. Then devs later, Beth runs into Shona and Sarah. Sarah asks how her sister is and once Beg twigs, she lies and says that she had a swell old time and she gets a text from Marco thanking her for the night. On Wednesday, early doors, Beth and Glenda are talking about the situation with Marco. Beth reckons all that is in the past and they have no plans to meet up again. 
Meanwhile, Kirk is back at the factory from an early morning trip to Southampton. They made a really big deal about this because it was mentioned last week that Kirk was going to have to go to Southampton. Right, at three o'clock in the morning. Yeah, and that's happened. Right. And nothing's come from it. No. Other than he explains that he was listening to Eminem on the radio, which reminded him of the time that he proposed to Fizz. By singing the real Slim Shady, which Fizz <clears throat> finds romantic. He stood outside Fizzy's house with a ghetto blaster and spoke, I'm Slim Shady, yes, I am the real Shady, or you're the Slim Shadies are just imitating. I want the real Slim Shady. Please stand up. Please stand up. Please stand up. And he did it for ages. Fizz and I have different definitions of romance. <laughs> yeah. Fizz enjoys the nostalgia, even if it was a million years ago. But Beth is unimpressed, thinking that Fizz is just rubbing it in. And this gets the knicker people all talking about their X's and O's, which gets Beth worked up some more. And this continues to the Rovers later, where Kirk is forced to apologise again to Beth, and he insists that she can trust him, just like he can trust her. He nips off for a quick shite. Gulp. And moments later, did you have to say gulp just after I said shite? Yes. <laughs> And moments later, Beth is on her phone looking at messages from Marco, who seems to want to get in touch with her again after all. Yes, exactly like that. Back in the pub, Fizz reckons that Kirk should make an honest woman out of Beth, but he doesn't think it's necessary. She'll always come back to Kirk. Meanwhile... Right, you could throw her in a vat of naked men and she would crawl out and come back to him. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine how terrified that would be if somebody threw you in a vat of naked men? Those, how much how much energy do you want me to dedicate to this? Because those naked men, like, if it's a vat, that means that they're kind of, like, on top of one another, and the ones on the bottom are suffocating and dying, mm-hmm. and then they throw you in there. You're just making matters worse. They're already, right, yeah, they're already panicking and freaking out and trying to get out of this vat. This is a very bleak vat of naked men that you're painting here. And how do you get out of the vat of naked men? Somebody would have to get you out of there. Because if it was easy to escape the vat, the naked men would have already have escaped. It's a death vat. It is a death vat. It's a death vat for cutie. <laughs> it's worse than that vat of acid that the Joker fell into. And then Harley Quinn after him. Anyway. Anyway. Meanwhile, Glenda catches wind of Beth still texting Marco and takes a piss out of her for it. Beth insists that she loves her Kirk, but we can tell that she is conflicted somewhat and that is as far as we get with that this week i like this friendship that has budded between glenda and beth i like that glenda has a friend outside of the rovers now yeah she's been kind of picking up little bits of information as well because she learned that tracy's right done time for murder this week yes so that's good to fill in that blank. Right, yes. As that's an important blank to fill. But yes, I, I agree. It's it's a little odd. This goes back to what we said at the start about certain characters populating certain storylines. Mm-hmm. That whenever Beth is getting a text from Marco, it's Glenda who's there. Mm-hmm. Whenever Beth is in the back talking to Kirk and Kirk nips off for a shake, it's Glenda who comes out. So mm-hmm. it's like the two of them are inexplicably linked at the hip a little bit where they haven't been up until now but once you get by the fact that it's going to be Glenda who's speaking to Beth about this 
yeah, the two of them together is it is good that the Glenda isn't just talking to George and talking to Jenny. Right. Talking to Daisy. Mm-hmm. Talking to Gemma. Talking about, to Sean. What about Beth and Marco though? I, I mean, find this I find this really interesting. I, I like the fact that Beth and Kirk are getting a storyline. That we're we're doing something interesting with this relationship instead of it just being a big joke. Yeah, I think what we're doing with this relationship is destroying it. Mm-hmm. But maybe it does need to be destroyed. Or maybe maybe this is a thing that makes Beth realize that she really does want to spend the rest of her life with Kirk and they will get actual married this time. Yeah, I can see it going that way as well. Especially it, since somebody mentions the fact that he should make an honest woman out of her this week. Yeah, Fizz. Yeah, I I can see it going that way. At the moment, though, you have to say that when was the last time, if ever, you've seen Beth as happy? Yeah, she's never been happy. She's Except, never been like that. Right, yeah. And... You know, it's the it's the lure of the the unknown, I guess, right, and, yeah. the, the, and the nostalgia of it. I guess the member berries. The member berries are out in full force. Definitely, member. Mem- member, human league, <sighs> but, member. Mm-hmm. But I, I have no investment in Beth and Kirk together anyway, because who does? I used to really like their relationship because you know. Just like with Sally and Tim, there would just be these random, very sexy lines and innuendos thrown out there. There would be. And I loved that because Mm -hmm. for me, that's what a soap opera is. But it's kind of devolved into this just constant thing of Beth being snarky every time another woman speaks to Kirk. And that's just exhausting. And she does it again here when she's the one who's kind of emotionally cheating. Mm-hmm. And I found that a little bizarre and also a little telling here that, you know, she's she's okay with herself going out behind Kirk's back to see this guy. And if it was really on the up and up, she would have told him. Yeah, because uh, Beth is secretly doing this. Right. Fizz and Kirk were... T- in the middle of the factory talking about it openly right yeah and joking about and, and it just just remembering just right yeah having their own member berries yes being nostalgic so yeah I, I did think that that Marco was a kind of Beth sort of character there's a bit right. more about him he seems to be able to have a conversation without right. needing a yo-yo which is which right. is good and getting confused mm-hmm. over big letters and hasn't uh, so far, anyway, suggested a suggest a suggestion box who can suggest a suggestion box. Right. Yeah. So, so he's got that going for him. There you go. We need to see how it plays out once once the giggling stops. Right. But for now. For now. If it goes one way or the other, I, I think I'm fine either way. Mm-hmm. If Beth and Kirk do split up, though, I don't know that Kirk is. What is there relevant left? about? I don't think he's really relevant at the moment, anyway. But he's relevant for packing. Mm. He's the packer. Kind of becomes an extra that gets the occasional line, which isn't really fair on him. Yeah, like that guy who we haven't seen in a while. Dirk, not Kirk. Yeah. yeah. 
Where is Dirk Kirk? Oh, he just got. I haven't seen him. Plenty of uh, irons in the fire. Hmm. Our penultimate storyline tonight is Damon Bad Omens Two. On Wednesday, <laughs> Liana's in Nina's role looking for Roy, and this has got something to do with a jumper of Sam's that's shrunk in the wash, and there's a delivery or something. None of this made any sense to me, well, and I have no idea impatient. why Roy would be interested. Well, no, she's she's impatient because she wants her coffee because she needs to hurry up and get back to the house for the delivery. Oh, I don't think they explained that very well at all. Well, I understood it. Well, you must just be super smart. I am. Sarah suggests going to grab one from Max's from number eight, but Leanne refuses to set foot in there because Nick. Yeah, because Max isn't going to be needing it anytime soon. <laughs> right. Sarah goes, to, Sarah goes to number eight to see Nick, and he's dressed like Homer in that episode where he skips church that time. <laughs> she picks up a jumper for Sam, I think. Nick is still estranged from Sam and Leanne and is sad about it. Sarah thinks it's his own bloody fault. What a great point, says Nick. Thanks. <laughs> Later, Sarah and Nick go to see Leanne. Nick is sorry, but this gives Leanne a chance to get torn into him about taking money from Harvey and then getting bent over a barrel by Damon. And this is all long overdue. Nick says that he took a chance and he needed the money. Leanne is sick of being lied to and she throws him out. You too, Sarah. Beat it. And I'm glad that Leanne was finally given this opportunity scene to, to be angry and to get the time to explain why she's angry to him right because the whole him moving out was done very calmly because right. i think sam was there so they didn't right. want to really be having a massive argument about yeah. it but here she's like look look what you were doing right and sarah's there you it seems like nick thinks that sarah is there for his moral support but she's standing there going yeah yeah no leanne's right really yeah yeah you you do suck <laughs> meanwhile at the law office, Adam is losing clients like he's losing man buns, while Didi is tied up in pro bono work. He I says, happen, "I like that." He says that he's not a charity and has been working fourteen-hour days since Simran died, and he's worried about the work drying up. Has he? Oh, has he been working fourteen-hour days since Simran died? Didi goes for coffees and they talk about the situation more. Adam thinks they might end up having to do adverts, which I don't know why that would be a bad thing. Didi asks to be kept in the loop and is up to put the work in to make this succeed. And is willing to star in the adverts. Right. Yeah, Adam seemed to be like, like this is a low point for a law firm. Is Maybe a law firm like, doesn't have to, doesn't have to advertise. Is he thinking about like the cheesy lawyer advertisements like Better Call Saul? Better Call Saul, that's what I thought, yeah. Yeah. Better Call Adam. Better Phone Adam. Better call Didi. Better no, no, dial no. Didi. Oh, that works. Yeah. They should hire me to do their advertising. On Friday at the law office, Adam has lost another client. This time, something about a boundary dispute, which is what got me to bother with Lydia last year, remember? Mm-hmm. In comes Damon because he's still a thing. He's looking for Didi and takes a seat to wait for her. Later, when Didi comes in, she's appalled to see him and tells him to get to fuck. Adam is shocked to find out that Damon is the guy who's been threatening Nick. Oblivious to this, Damon asks Didi out for lunch to apologise, but Didi tells him to stick his lunch up his arse. Right, right up, up his, his arse. arse. And the rovers, Dev is wearing a hat and asks how <laughs> and asks Nick how he is. Nick's, and are they friends? No. Nick's life is, he just sits next to him, just right. takes a seat. Just like one. shoves hey. him over and says, Hey, <laughs> Nick. 
But How's it going? It's like it's like he's it's like he's the mask. It's like he's Jim Carrey in the mask. He just needs the yellow zoot suit and a green face. Nick says that his life is a smoke and ruin. Dave laughs and tries to sell Nick some microwave burgers. He's oh, clearly why. on drugs. Adam has had a chance to think about what's been going on and now knows from Dee Dee that Damon has a lot of money. Adam wants a lot of some money too. Dee Dee sees where this is going and doesn't think it's a great idea to take on the guy threatening his wife's brother as a client, but Adam needs a cash cow. Damon has cash and is a cow. Sarah doesn't need to know, and it'll be Dee Dee who'll be representing Damon in court anyway, because we learn that Dee Dee is really, really good at being in court. So Damon is called back and Adam makes a pitch for his firm to take over his legal representation. Apparently the court case has nothing to do with Nick or the bistro, so there's no conflict of interest. And right enough, he was just done for possession of mm-hmm. a large amount of drugs. Yes. Dee is the best, apparently, and Damon is as surprised as anyone. He Dame- also wants to still get in her pants, he though, does. so it's fine. Dee says that yes, she is the best. And Damon has a read of her resume and sees that she has lots of experience and is happy to employ her. Didi, though, wants to go through the case files first and needs a relationship to be purely business. Damon likes a cut of her jib. Didi is still worried about this, but Adam insists that he can keep it a secret from Sarah, so I wonder if you can guess what I think is going to happen there. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Well, there's, there you go. Now you're up to speed. Because <laughs> now that's what I'm suggesting. Right. Is that by... And what's going to happen? I mean, Adam didn't need to say this. This no. is never going to happen anyway. No. But but Sarah is definitely going to find out about this. Yeah. And it's, is not going to be happy. No. Because this is as stupid as Nick taking the money from right. Harvey in the first place. Right. It's like it's like that, that movie that we went to see last week where somebody was constantly saying over and over again about speculating that someone who was attacked constantly by a particular villain would eventually snap and become the villain. Some things just don't need to be said. Right. Yeah, I, I don't know why I don't know why we're kind of repeating the same kind of level of stupidity in what is essentially the same storyline just a few months later. And the Rovers again, Nick is still there, which is pretty much what I did when I <clears throat> had to move back home. Adam is careful not to make eye contact with anyone. Not even himself. No. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Yes. Yeah. I do not foresee this going well. And I'm a little surprised that TD agrees to this. You know. Oh, well, she's kind of guilty, didn't you, by Adam? Right. But still, you know, because this puts her in a very uncomfortable position. It does. And Adam doesn't quite seem to be able to understand the ethics of this. Well, from his point of view, people need representation. And he's right, right. about that. People need, yes. But, but there is a conflict of interest if, you know, you're representing someone who you have dated and who well, you turned down. Well, there is that. But I also think there's some kind of ethical thing about a defense lawyer knowing that your client is guilty. Right. Guilty as fuck. Yeah. I think, I think if you are guilty... I don't think you tell your defence lawyer that because I think that presents problems. Right. But. Who knows? Well, well. I just, you know, like I said, and this whole, 
It's all very convenient. All of a sudden, we don't have any clients anymore. Sort of thing. It's kind of ridiculous as well. Because it seems to happen where everything is fine. And then all of a sudden, we have no clients. And then so we have to do something stupid. Well, it's like the factory. Because we don't see what's going on there all the time. Right. You assume it's ticking over until all of a sudden, the factory really needs this michael order it really needs right. this rufus order right and all of a sudden the the law office that was ticking over quite happily mm-hmm. all of a sudden they're losing clients and they're mm-hmm. losing the money and mm-hmm. i thought it was nice though from adam's point of view that he said that he and imran really worked at making this a success and he really wants to not damage that or let it go kind of in yeah. In honor of Imran, which is They were doing really bad when Imran died, let's not forget. Oh well maybe there is something in the, the clients thing. Right. Hmm. Maybe you're just a bad lawyer, Adam. <laughs> we used to make a point of the fact that he was a bad lawyer. Yeah. Or he was unscrupulous. Right. No, scrupulous? No, unscrupulous. unscrupulous. Yeah. I don't know if where Nick gets back into the good books with Leanne and and Sam here. At least Sam is another storyline we learn that Sam is, is regretful that Nick isn't as much in his life, but Leanne doesn't seem all that bothered in the slightest. No. Oh well. Let's move on to our final storyline, Canadian Psycho. On Monday, Carla's up early worrying about the Paul thing. She's worried about going to prison, but Peter is sure that they can sort it out. She continues to be distracted at the factory and seems to greenlight Sarah's idea to pay out a bonus without complaint or question to the knicker people. Meanwhile, Stephen gets a call from Rufus Houndstooth, which I remember is not his last name. No. Home after a hard day, Carla walks by Peter heading out to cover Tim's shift. Peter has made an appointment for Carla with Dr. Gadas tomorrow and he's also cooked her a veggie lasagna. Mm-hmm. Stephen and Rufus meet up. And Rufus sells him some LSD. What's an old codger like you want with LSD? And Stephen says, oh, he's just using it for recreational purposes, which he was definitely not advocating when they met up in his hotel right, room. yes. Stephen pays him and insists from uh, this transaction is kept on the down low. And Rufus, I think, really is putting two together here at this point. And we've thought this for a few weeks now. On Wednesday, Carla is looking up So You've Been In An Accident Without Insurance.com when Peter gets up and reminds her about the Gadas appointment she has today. She thinks that she needs a solicitor more. In these roles, Sarah and Adam are talking about today's meeting with the American contingent. Sarah wants to throw some Americans... Who aren't American. Sarah wants to throw some Americans in there, like, get it right fucking up, you, you bampot. Adam... (laughs) challenges her to get the phrase Monday morning quarterback into conversation. When was the last time you heard an American refer to anything as Monday morning quarterbacking to you? I don't think I've ever heard anyone say Monday morning quarterback. That is such an old phrase that that is not really relevant anymore considering the internet and social media. Well, and also that the, the American football games are on a Sunday night, a Monday night, Thursday, a Thursday night. night. Yeah, they're not just all Sundays anymore. Right, yeah, I don't... And also, like, before this, she says that she's peppering her conversation with the word awesome. But not like that. Awesome! Like that. Right. Like, it's the 1990s. 
Say it properly. No. Say it properly. I'm too tired. <laughs> Come on. I can wait here all night. Like the 1990s. God, what was that? <clears throat> you know, you asked for it. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes you shouldn't ask for things like that. <laughs> Peter has accompanied Carla to see Gaddis and isn't about to let her play down her symptoms. She says it comes and goes and it feels different from last time, but not like that. He says it happens when she's working or thinking about work and she's got a compo case hanging over her. Gaddis does whatever... Gaddis does what any good GP would do at this and prescribes a course of diazepam. Next! On her way to work... Stephen reminds her of the importance of the American meeting and she needs to bring her A-game. Go fuck yourself, says Carla. Correctly. At the factory, there are people who don't work at the factory, but they have an appointment at the factory, so it's good that they're at the factory. This is the American contingent who aren't American. American. Sarah tries to get Monday morning quarterback into conversation hilariously, but keeps getting talked over even more hilariously. Carla. And also, (laughs) Stephen brings up the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. Didn't expect that, did you? (laughs) Carla, still pissed about the previous scene, sends Stephen off to make coffees because that's all he's good for, even though he's from Ohio. So, unperturbed by the fact that he's in the middle of the factory making coffee, Stephen spikes Carla's coffee with some lovely LSD. Right, like practically puts all of it in, which would kill her! (laughs) The meeting must go well, but next we see... We're at the pleasantry wrapping up stage when Carla starts tripping balls again and demands to know why everyone is there. Stephen and Sarah quickly usher the non-Americans out, Stephen whispering that Carla is under a lot of pressure. The deal, though, seems to be done, but no contracts have been signed yet. No, and he refers to them as our American cousins, continuing with the rather rather dark allusions to the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> Does anybody here know the name of the man who assassinated Abraham Lincoln? Who says that in a business meeting? And they don't know because they're not Americans. I, I said in the business, Carla knew. I said in the business meeting today, may you be in heaven five minutes before the devil knows you're dead. They were making Irish things at me. Were they? They know you're not Irish. Oh, this guy, Pete, said, oh, happy uh, St. Patrick's Day, everyone. Happy St. Patrick's Day, Gavin. And I just shook my head and and people who know me started laughing. <laughs> and I said, and I, get said this, I get this shit all day from people who think that I'm Irish. And you said, get back to me when it's St. Andrew's Day. The knicker people gather with their traditional bongos and personal pipes to celebrate. Yub nub, shouts Kirk. And one of the women who doesn't have a name agrees. Stephen airs some concerns about how the meeting ended, but then Carla, who is still refusing to have a good trip, comes out of the office and screams at everyone to get out. She's just bad trip central, isn't she? What I found interesting about this whole scene is the fact that you have Carla, Sarah, and Stephen in this meeting with the non-Americans mm-hmm. from the American firm. American contingent. Right. And the inventor of this line, the creator of this line, is standing outside, desperately listening in, and not invited into the meeting, even though the meeting would not be happening if he had not invented these clo- this clothing line. Right. Why is Michael not in that meeting? That's right. 
Why is Michael not in that meeting? Don't do it, Helen. Don't do it. Could it be melanin related? <laughs> Don't do it, Helen. So everyone gets their jackets on and heads to the pub. Beth is worried about the future of the factory. Kirk doesn't recognise Carla anymore, but you know, Kirk. Sally is just pleased that Stephen has taken charge. So Sally fetches Peter, who comes into the factory, to comfort Carla, who is slumped against a pillar. Sally suggests hospital, but Peter just wants her to get home. Stephen helps. Carla calls him Beetle Scum and says that she doesn't want him anywhere near her as they walk back to the flat, and all of this is seen by a passing Rufus. At home, Carla's still tripping. Peter wants to take her to the hospital, but Stephen suggests waiting until it wears off. Till what wears off, asks Peter. And uh, I think Stephen blames the diazepam. Right, yeah. Oh, no, he's like, you know, the whole thing wears off. You said that they, that these that these incidents tend to wear off after a while. Yeah, you don't really say wear off about this, do you? Right, It passes, no. but it doesn't wear off. Peter promises to keep her away from work. Not for too long, says Stephen, we need her, and I need to make sure her LSD is topped up on a regular basis. At the rovers, Stephen overplays how Carla was to the knicker people, and they all agree that she needs more time off away from the factory until she's right in the head. At this, Sarah comes in with Rufus, who is keen to know how the American deal went. Rufus and Stephen go to a private part of the bar, and Rufus asks how long he's been spiking Carla's drinks. Is it enough coffee? Because he's definitely spiking her, and he knows a bad trip when he sees one. Stephen plays dumb, but Rufus isn't letting go, and wonders what Carla, or the police, or Peter would say about all this. Mm-hmm. Stephen threatens to go to Rufus's wife, but plot has dictated that Rufus's wife has left him, so now he has nothing left to lose. Right. What's it going to take for you to keep your trap shut, asks Stephen. You can get the fucking drinks in for a start, says Rufus. Mm. On Friday, at the factory, Carla is on edge, but rejects Peter's advice to take it easy. She needs to keep her mind occupied, which means getting back to work and getting some normality. Peter is unimpressed and he wants to go back to his gadass. In the factory, Stephen is shouting at Rufus on the phone when Carla comes in, wondering what uh, is going on. He's surprised to see her and see how keen she is to get back in charge of things. So later, Carla is mingling with the knicker people, making teas. She apologises for the circus yesterday and insists that she's fine. Moments later, she drops a mug and rips her finger open on a shard. She shouts at the knicker people not to panic because you know knicker people, they react when they see blood. Yes. Stephen calls Peter to come to Carla's rescue. It's a nasty coffee mug cut and Carla admits that she's not okay, taking the step back way too seriously. Meanwhile, as Peter and Carla talk about going to see Gadas, Stephen pinches Carla's keys to the earthy flat. Mm. Gadas' surgery... She's tried diazepam and that hasn't worked so she is just flat out of ideas and suggests sending Carla to see her shrink. There's a waiting list so Peter agrees to spend that 15 grand that's burning a hole in his pocket and go private. Gadas tells her to take an extended break from work and give them jellies another crack. Can we talk about the fact that when she was right in the middle of this episode, when she was genuinely in a crisis... They decide not to take her to hospital. Sally wanted to take her to hospital. Right. Stephen just wanted to see what would happen. Right. And Peter said, no, 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 let's just take her home. And it'll wear off. Sort of thing. But then immediately once she's fine, that's when they go to Gaddis. Mm-hmm. And Gaddis doesn't say, well, this is, you know, you say it, it feels different. 
that it, it doesn't feel the same as your last episode. Let's run some tests. Let's draw some blood and mm-hmm. see what's going on here. Right. I don't know how long the LSD would be in her system, but if they took her like immediately after, I would imagine that there would still be LSD in her system. And then maybe we could solve this whole thing. Yeah, and maybe we could move on with our lives. I thought Gaddis was a good doctor. No, she's not. Well, not here, she's not. She's turned into Gadabout Gaddis. <laughs> yeah, she is. Later, Stephen runs into Peter, who's kind enough to say that Carla is now jellied out of her tits and has gone to sleep. Interesting to know, says Stephen, who then puts a hanky of chloroform over Peter's mouth just for laughs. Stephen uses Carla's keys to get into the earthy flat, and after admiring its earthy tones, he goes into Carla's bedroom and watches her sleep like a right creepy fucker. Yes. And after doing whatever he did, let's not talk about that, he goes into the kitchen, turns on the grill and leaves. Meanwhile, Peter nips into Nina's rolls to ask Roy to check in on Carla while he goes to pick up her prescription from the hospital. And when Uh-oh. Roy gets to the earthy flat, Roy is surprised to see that toast on the grill is on fire. Oh, the grill is on fire, says Roy. That shouldn't be like that. And so he puts the fire out. Carla yes. insists that she didn't turn the grill on. There's no harm done, says Roy, skipping over the fact that the flat could have burned down. But it didn't. Back at the flat. Back at the factory. Sarah thinks the knicker people are hatching a plot, and this seems to be backed up when Sean and Izzy come into the office and they overhear Stephen loudly say that Carla is on the mental pills again and it looks like she's having a breakdown. Now, what was it you wanted, Sean? And Sean and Izzy point out that the toaster is broken. So Stephen needs to nip out, saying that Sarah is more than capable of handling the toaster issue. And this brings us on to this week's hard debate. Can Sarah handle the toaster issue? Absolutely not a chance. Not a chance. Absolutely was a mere 21.4%. Not a chance. (laughs) Romping home. 78.6. 78.6. 78.6. 78.6. There'll be another hard debate next week, maybe. Finally, Peter gets back from the hospital, lured by the smell of burnt toast. This is the final straw for Carla, who now agrees with Peter that she needs serious help, not just Gadda's help, proper serious help. Back at the factory, Sean and Izzy are back pestering Stephen, and they now want him and Sarah to run the factory. All the knicker people are in agreement. It's in Carla's best interest, says Sean. Stephen is humbled and then then reminds them that they'll need to sign some legally binding documents that he's already drafting up. These are the same people mm. that last week last week voted no. Took a took a silent vote and all strongly supported Carla and had complete confidence in her, even with these episodes occurring. No, we want Carla. Carla has been good to us. Carla has consistently been good to us. It's Carla's factory. Just say no to Stephen. I think they saw it more this week than they saw it previously, though. Still, not one of them, not even Faye, stood up for Carla this week? No. Now that they have this big-ass American account... And they're like, oh, we're going to be rich. Rich, I tells you. But Carla may ruin it for all of us. Yep. What the fuck? Where is their loyalty to Carla? I think you were to draw the line somewhere. You can't let that situation continue. 
where she's in meetings with people with that are making these deals and she's behaving like that. Right. But still. I wonder though what Rufus's plan's going to be because Rufus was pissed off about this American deal right. in the first place. Yeah. And he has somewhat of the upper hand at the moment. Yay. Anyway, let's finish off the storyline because Carla and Peter head off to the clinic while Stephen sits in Carla's chair in the factory in the dark, getting up to all manner of beastly things. And that's how we end this week's episode. I drink a glass of scotch. Yes. Because that's what villains do. So Stephen is kind of... a pussy. Stephen has got to... Cat. Yes. Well, Stephen has got to uh, the point and the plan that he really wanted to get to, where he's in charge of this factory. None of this... Instead of running, running for away. his life because he's murdered two people. <coughs> right. Kind of Why is all he about still that. here? We're forgetting How all about has that. nobody found that car thing that, let's remember, sunk in a very shallow part of the canal? Nobody's found that yet? No. Really? Well, there's probably tons of dead bodies in there that are covering that up. <laughs> no, he's... For for reasons that I don't know that we've ever really established, he's decided not to get out of Dodge the second that he had any money in his bank account and now wants to take charge of the knicker factory and linger around the the And the stick scene, it to Carla. The scene of his well, also gaslighting two, his niece. The scene of his two murders. This is where he wants to, to hang about it. So good for him getting this far. This he is terrible, though. His banter in that meeting was terrible. Oh, yeah. He's constantly talking over people, especially women. His banter includes the assassination of an American president. Mm-hmm. That's always a good topic. It's just, he's going to run that factory into the ground. He's going to take all the money from that factory. He's going to swindle it somehow and then take off. That's what he's trying to do. Yeah. Yeah, he's just trying to get the... Any down payment or something, any any money for the factory, he's going to embezzle it. Right. And and, and beat it. I, I think it's I think it's where we're going with it. But right. this, the wild card that's in this game is mm-hmm. Rufus. And what does Rufus know and what's Rufus going to want? Rufus, and is Rufus uh, going to die? Maybe. And I would rather that Rufus died than Tim's mum, for example. Yes, but I also want Rufus to be... I find myself <sighs> kind of rooting for Rufus a little bit this week. Yes. Even though yes. he's a deplorable he's become, human being. He's, he's slowly become less of a dick than he was in the very beginning. Funny that. Um, but this now becomes the only reason that Stephen was tripping balls a couple of weeks ago was so Rufus could see him. Whereas we were hoping that, that Stephen tripping balls was going to be maybe a little bit wake up call. Holy right. shit, this is what I'm doing to Carla. Right. But he, he by leaving that care. grill on, is essentially trying to kill her. Right. And maybe kill everybody else on the block. Right. Because let's remember street these cars. houses are... are so it's on top of streetcars. Right. Yeah. This is... This has got to stop. <laughs> Yes. You know, there's 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 a point where you've taken the villain as far as you can possibly take him, and they're, now there finally do need to be some repercussions here 
above and beyond his car getting towed. <laughs> I did feel, though, that as I was watching it tonight and he's standing in Carla's bedroom watching her sleep, I thought, okay, now Stephen's creepy. Wait a minute, he's killed two people, hasn't right. he? <laughs> but now he's creepy. Right. Now he's creepy. Now he's creepy. Now, now I'm concerned about his behaviour. Right. Because why is he there staring at Carla's sleep? You could say that he's just checking to make sure that he's, that she's asleep. Right, yeah. But he, he wasn't didn't doing need to, that. He didn't need to go in there. Just go in, sneak over, turn on the grill, leave. and leave. Why must you stare at her sleeping body? Maybe this is his kind of MO that he outstays his welcome wherever possible. Oh, my God. I'm still enjoying this. I know a lot of people are. I loathe. I am not enjoying it. I do not enjoy every single time he doses her and gets away with it. I'm not enjoying it. I don't like it. I he's, don't like watching it. He's Dick Dastardly as far as I'm concerned. No, because Dick Dastardly was fun and Dick Dastardly was foiled every single time. And then, you know, Muttley would laugh. He's going to be foiled. We need Muttley. He's going to be foiled. Yep. But again, Dick Dastardly was foiled every single time. Whereas we're seeing Stephen get away with these things. We're seeing... This genuinely awful person being constantly able to pull one over on supposedly intelligent people in this show, mostly women. But it's almost by accident. In fact, it's by accident. He's he's a kind of he's a variation on the the Gary model of villain and murderer, where it's all kind of accidental. I'm not saying that he accidentally killed Sinkhole Leo or that he accidentally killed Sinkhole Leo's... He's not accidentally that, dosing Carla. No, but he's accidentally kind of getting away with it. I don't think he's getting away with it because he's some kind of master criminal or anything No, like that. and that's it's, the infuriating thing. It's circumstance thing. That, that's getting him he's off the He's doing this in the wide open Broad where daylight. people can see him. Under fluorescent lights. Where the cameras lights. can see him and nobody has caught him. That is frustrating. It is frustrating to seeing this happen and be like, come on, guys. Nobody's seeing this? Come on. Oh, well. Ah. That was the week that was Coronation Street. I'm conscious of you being a little bit on the sleepy side, Helen. So let's move. I am. And let me just ask two more questions of you. Sure. Question one is, what is your moment of the week? The haunted coffee cup. Oh, you noticed that? <laughs> no, it's not. It's the haunted coffee cup. It's not. That's not the moment of the week. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not doing a, a meme for that. But it did move, and it moved when her hand moved away from it. Right. Her, her hand, hand moves, was nowhere near that coffee cup. No, it was near it, but it moved. If her hand moved towards it, and it moved, and you go, oh, well, it was her hand. No. Her hand moved away from it, and it moved. <laughs> that means it was empty. That's oh, going to it be, was empty anyway. <laughs> that's the empty cup winner of the year, I think, right no. there. The haunted coffee Stephen cup. Stephen came in with eight of them last month, remember? Yeah, they didn't move on their own, though. I think, for me, the moment of the week was Rufus and uh, confronting Stephen. I thought that was a great scene. I loved the way that he, that he did it, because he's as slimy as Stephen is. 
Maybe he just he's, hasn't killed people. He's better than Stephen. But he is better. He's smarter than Stephen. And I, and I liked that. I liked Stephen getting a little bit of a comeuppance and a taste of his own medicine there. Hmm. Remember, this doesn't really mean anything and you're sleepy. That is true. All right, fine. There we go. Moment of the week. Moment of the week. Boring moment of the week. It's got to be the broken toaster, D- hasn't it? Mm-hmm. Daniel explaining to Jenny and Glenda who Miss Haversham is. Boring moment of the week. Not I'm, even an argument. I didn't even have to say a word to that. <laughs> oh, if you would like Daniel to explain the works of great literature to you. <laughs> I don't know why I would suggest getting in touch with us, but do it anyway. We're the yeah. talk of the street at gmail.com and we're at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You can shout me and Helen a coffee by heading to Kofi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of Voggle.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. Thank and you. we will be back next week with more. Talk of the street. Talk of the street. Bye. Cheerio.